Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Sarah Boxer, your host. Today, I'm really excited to introduce to you Maria Fuller. And Maria and I had a very brief minute to chat before we started. But when I researched Maria and listened to some of her podcasts and learned more about her philosophy, it is so simpatico with what we talk about here on the No Labels, No Limits podcast. And just to give you a little bit of very little bit of background. Maria is the founder of Empowered Girls, and she really believes that it's important for girls to shed unhealthy beliefs, break down stereotypes, and she wants to help empower parents to foster independence, leadership, and strong personal identity in their daughters, which for all of us women listening to you, Maria, and any of the young women of all ages listening, I think is so powerful. And I do want to ask you to introduce yourself a little more. And I noticed one of the things you talked about is that you really connect professionals and companies, you know, internationally to support girls. So after you introduce yourself a little bit and why you came to do this work, let's talk a little bit about that and then dive into the depths of it. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on today. And when I found out about your podcast, just the name of it, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to find out more about this because it does align so deep with so many of my beliefs, this concept of labels. And we'll get into that heavier and how these labels are actually holding our girls back, but you know, our boys back as well. So my name is Maria Fuller. I am a white presenting Latina. I like to say that to people because my background, I was, I was brought up in the Latina culture. My background's in health science and women's studies. I was a New York City critical care paramedic. And to make a very long story short, an accident on the job actually was a big pivot point in my life and led me to entrepreneurship. You know, when I was younger, I'd always dreamed of being a mom. And as I got older and went to university and had the experience that I did as a child, I was terrified of raising girls. I desperately, desperately pleaded, please send me boys. I cannot be a mother to girls because my journey was, was rough. I am a, I was a people pleaser. I was a perfectionist. I knew exactly what I needed to do to elicit a a response of you're such a good girl. You've got, yeah, I got the good grades. I went to, to every single university I applied to, I, I got accepted into with, um, either a full scholarship, full ride or almost complete full ride. Like I did it all perfectly. And at the end of the day, I remember being 23 years old and having an experience as a paramedic where I stood back and I was like, I have no idea who I am. Like I have no identity. I have been told how to dress from wearing a school uniform to my mother choosing how to cut my hair. I've been taught how to think. I've been taught by media and the world on what I'm supposed to be like or look like or behave like as a woman. And so, and so who am I? And so I was terrified how, because I didn't want that for my daughters. And and I understood how it held me back in so many ways and caused a lot of emotional turmoil. And so how am I going to have the responsibility of raising a daughter and, and not repeat this cycle for her? And then the universe, like it so magically speaks to so many of us says, well, well, Maria, you were sent to this earth to do this work, to have these experiences, to start opening up conversations, to ask the difficult questions. And I'm going to send you Alexa and she's going to challenge you and she's going to make you face the darkness and you're going to find the light together and you're going to change the world 
and you're going to bring other parents along on the ride with you and help them as well. So let me, before I do want to know a little bit more about Alexa and her being a little gift for you, a little challenge gift. Um, But externally, as you introduce yourself and you said, I got in on full ride scholarships, there are people listening to this saying, so what's so bad about that? I mean, that's amazing. You accomplished that. What a powerful woman you are in your own right. So where is the disconnect there? Yeah, so I got all that and I did all that because I that's what I was expected to do. And so that's the problem that I have with it. I didn't necessarily apply to the universities that I wanted to go to. I applied to the ones that had the big names. So I applied to the ones that would be most impressive. And I chose a career I was actually pre-med because uh, I was an artistic child, but my parents were like, you can't make money in the arts, so find something else. And so what is something that's prestigious to do, right, is become a doctor. And so that's what I went to do. And so when I actually found myself in the first university, I realized what a horrendous fit it was for me, that it actually launched me into an extreme mental health crisis where I had to leave. I couldn't even complete first semester. It was horrendous. And luckily, I was able... I had met my husband right before I went away to college and I ended up transferring to his university and it was a blessing. My, I think it took a long time for my family to see that. So I went from this small private Jesuit university where I'd been in Catholic school my entire life to this extremely large New York City, uh, New York public university with uh, 30,000 students on campus. But the diversity that I needed, different ethnicities, different cultures, different flavors, different people, different ideas I so desperately needed. I needed to get out of this perfect white bubble. It Really, that's what it was. It was this perfect white bubble. And, and I didn't belong in that bubble. I needed more. So let me ask you, when you change, that takes a, that's a gutsy move, right? Partly because it may have felt not gutsy to you because when you're desperate and you know that you're sinking, this is my words, not yours. But when you know you're sinking and you're going, hey, man, I'm grabbing a ladder, right? I'm going to this school, whatever. But in the back of our minds, there are often those things like, well, what's my family going to think? Am I going to lose their support? Am I going to lose key relationships? What if I, you know, I mean, it's all that blah, blah, blah that goes on. Did you have any of that? And if you did, how did you handle it as a young woman? Yeah, so it's really interesting. And and I'm going to be completely transparent with your audience right now. I'm right now, that question is just creating aha moments for me. So like, you know, I say I didn't know who I was, but I think for me, I was so miserable that it was years of being so lost and not knowing myself and people pleasing and pleasing others and pleasing my family and being a good girl that it hit me so hard that I was like, I'm done. I'm done. And so I left a full scholarship, full ride, room, board, books, everything. And I went and took out student loans, everything in my name. My husband actually co-signed my loans. We'd only been dating for six months, I think. I mean, like, would I give this advice to my daughters? No. (laughs) But we did this. I got my own apartment at 18. I completely separated from my parents financially. And I said to them, this is the choice I'm making. And they fought me on it. And I said, you have no say in this. And they thought I was just following the boy, but I wasn't just following the boy. I was, I was seeking, I was searching something different. And, and to me, when I was on that campus, I felt alive. I felt joyful. The conversations I were have, I was having were, were just 
bigger than I had had before. And I would sit in in classes with him sometimes and I would just listen and it just felt good. I had connected with my intuition and my intuition was screaming, yes, 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 yes. And when I would go back to my my university I'd picked, I, I was in this place of just completely shutting down and my heart was screaming, no, no, no. So for me, I chose in that moment to con- to to reconnect with my intuition and to go with my gut and to follow that voice that screamed yes. Thank you. And thanks for being honest about that because I think we could gloss over it and say, okay, you made this big transition, but it's just not that easy, right? There are costs to our decision to stand up for ourselves. They're not always drastic costs, but we have to acknowledge that they exist. And Sometimes, and from some of the stuff I've read, I'm interested in what your thinking is on this about the how that may hold back our girls when they think the cost is too high. So can you talk a little bit about labels in your own, because you talked about that as that being something that resonates with you, but how that played for you as a girl, how it plays or hopefully isn't playing in the same way for your daughters yeah. So, all right. So where do we begin on this? Right. So I think, I, I think I want to start with a little bit of research. So I am a researcher, you know, I, am a scientist. I went to school for science. I believe in research. I love reading peer reviewed journals. I mean, I research everything. I don't take anybody's word for anything, including my own doctors. They love me and they hate me for this, but there's an incredible study out there done by an incredible psychologist named Carol Dweck. And she is the, really the woman who coined the term mindset. And she has a book called mindset. So you're starting to hear these buzzwords now out there, right? Like growth mindset. We want kids to have to growth mindsets. So she did this incredible study where she looked at girls and she found that girls up until the fifth grade outperform boys in every single subject, including math and science, right? So that's really cool. And then we know like fifth grade, that's when like our bodies start changing and start trying to go into puberty. And that's when things really shift for girls. And there's tons of other research out there showing how at that age, you know, body image issues, you know, are are through the roof and self-esteem is plummeting and all of that. But she went on to look at like academics. And what she found was that girls that were considered to be the smart girls. Okay. There's your label, the smart girls, the girls that traditionally would outperform the boys and everything cognitively, intelligence wise were at the top had the worst growth mindset. So what do we mean by that? That means that girls that were labeled smart, who we called smart girls thought that their growth, their gift, their, their smartness, their intelligence was an innate, which means it cannot change. You're either born smart or you're not smart. So what would happen for these girls is that when they hit a challenge, right, your math gets a little bit harder, you're going outside of your comfort zone, and you're trying something new, and it doesn't work the first time, that for them, when they hit that that point where, where resiliency is building, they would go to the point, well, I must not be smart anymore. And they started to shut down. So they applied a limit to themselves, right? By I'm not smart anymore was just the flip of the label. Yeah, absolutely. And when I read this, it was like really interesting to me. And I was like, oh, is this really true? And so the work that I do every day as part of the work that I do with the Empowered Girl Movement is I actually interview and I talk to girls in the like nine to 15 
age range. And I literally had a conversation last week with this incredible 12 year old girl who was diagnosed with diabetes a year ago, and she's managing her diabetes on her own. She's calculating the amount of insulin that she needs to take and her sugars. I mean, she's got full responsibility for her diabetes. She doesn't need to go to the nurse and her endocrinologist says she's doing amazing. I mean, her numbers are doing amazing. And what was interesting to me is that she, when I, I asked her a bunch of questions and this is what I do as part of my process. And I asked her like, what are some things that you're really good at? And she talked about like dance and this and that. And I said, well, what are some things that you're not so good at? Like, what are some of your challenges? And she was like math. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Talk to me a little bit more about that. And she was like, well, I was always really good at math and I always loved math. Now this is a fifth grader, like literally Carol Dweck's experiment. I was always great at math, but then I had this math class last year and like I was doing like algebra, like sixth grader doing algebra. Okay. So smart girl here. And she's like, and it was just really hard for me. And so then I felt like I wasn't good at math anymore. I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. Tell me a little bit more about math this year. Like, how are you doing? How are you doing in it? She's like, well, I have an A in the class. I think my average is like 98, but every time I go to take a math test, I get really nervous that I'm going to be bad at math again. And I was like, Oh, I can see how that happens. So let's talk about like your diabetes. And I was really excited because I have a medical background. And I was like, like, let's talk about like what you're doing every single day to calculate like how much insulin to give to yourself so that your monitor doesn't go off when you're in ballet class. Cause you know, that aggravates your ballet teacher. And that's like another area that stresses you out. I was like, what are you doing all day long? And she's like, math. And I was like, oh, okay. So what's your endocrinologist say about like how you're managing your diabetes? And she's like, she says like, I'm amazing at it. And then I'm doing a great job. And I was like, hmm, sounds to me like you're really awesome at math. And she was like, yeah, I guess I am. And it was this conversation. And then we took it to like going back to that experience of, of her having a challenging time with the math. And I said, like, this is normal. And then we went into like the biology of like anxiety and stuff and how like you were stressed out when that was happening and how now it's actually causing a trigger in your life now, right? Now you're nervous every time um, about that. And we came up with some steps that she was going to take to start to like suppress that anxiety, work through it and get back to knowing that she's good at math, but also talking about that growth mindset on how like we come across challenges and sometimes things are hard, but it doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. you know, so that was really incredible for me to see and, and, and help girls work through it. And for, for her to have that aha moment that this, this is a label I just put on myself. And she realized she put the label on herself. No one else had put it on her, which isn't as common because a lot of times kids these days are having labels be put on them by us in the language that we use. And we can talk about that more. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because I think that's a perfect example of her putting a label on herself. I think as women, we do it all the time, too. I mean, it can be very, very subtle and they maybe not even damaging, but it's enough sometimes to tamp down trusting ourselves or just going, I'm just going to go and do it and see what happens. Right. That like, let's just learn and see if I can get past the hurdle this time. And it may be the wrong hurdle to get over, but I'm not going to quit on time one. So. What are some of those labels that you've seen generalized or just some of your takeaways from working with girls? Yeah. So, you know, I think a big thing is, 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 is let's look at like vocabulary or how we talk to our children or how we talk to girls. So you meet a little girl at the park, right? And you look at her and you like want to engage with her, right? So like, what's the first thing we normally do when we engage with a little girl? 
oh, I love your pretty dress. Like, oh my goodness, you have such pretty hair. Or we, we comment on something that she's wearing or what she looks like. And, and that's a problem for girls because we're showing them that the, um, that the focus should be on like what they look like. And what we're not talking about is like who they are. And so that's, I think, is how labels occur. So with my daughters, I try to make a very conscious effort of when they're doing something, I always want to comment on my daughter on, on her journey, right? Her work on something that she's doing. I don't care about the result. Like I really don't care about the result. For me, what's important is how are you working on this? And so I always say to them, like, I love how you're working so hard on this project. I love how we had a big, we had a, I had a big moment with my daughter last weekend because we worked through some, a massive fear and it took a lot of patience on me. And we talked about, um, she was, I was trying to get her to ride her bike down this big hill and it came, brought up all this anxiety and stuff. And I said to her, I love how courageous you are right now. I love the fact that we are up here on this hill and you haven't said, no, I'm not going to do this. That That's such a brave thing to be doing. This is courageous work. This is difficult work right now, right? I'm not labeling her. I'm talking about the experience or what she's going through. And I think that's a shift that we need to make is we need to stop saying to girls, you're smart. Oh, but you're so pretty, you know, you're so pretty or you're so smart. You can do this, right? Like, it's not about her being smart. It's how she's working hard. You work really hard at this. You really think outside of the box. You come up with some great solutions, right? Let's focus on the action that she right. takes as opposed to who she is. Because once that label is put on her by someone else, or you're so whiny, right? Like you, you you're so shy, right? Like we said, you're, but my daughter is so shy, right? So then the daughter thinks I'm shy. I'm shy. I'm shy. And that constant hearing that is going to tell her subconsciously that she is shy and she's not shy. You know, maybe she, maybe she is observant when she comes to a situation. I love how you observe. I love how you step back and you observe before you engage because that's what a lot of them are doing. And so looking at things that way and observing on their behavior is better. So you, you're really nasty to your sister. Well, you're not a nasty girl. That behavior was unkind to your sister. It was your behavior that was a problem, not you. So shifting our language in that makes such a huge impact. But for us, we have to retrain our brain to do that. And it's something that I'm doing every single day. And so I've learned a lot to pause, really pause before I think to my daughters and reframe in my head how I want to say this to them. And it's a great skill for them to learn as well, to not to think (laughs) before you speak. But I think that's, that's one of the simplest ways that, that we can really help to not put those labels on them. Do you talk to your girls about their intuition or to the gals that you coach? Yeah, absolutely. And so in, intuition is a gift and we're all given intuition. And I think as females, I think our intuition is even, it's more magical. Like, let's just say that it's just more magical than men. I don't know why. And, and and intuition, I, I have over and over again in my life have learned that intuition is real. And I think scientifically, we want to look at for those scientific people, you know, there's 80 parts of our brain that we actually as scientists don't know what is actually going on there. And so I think a large part of that is intuition. Um, in terms of like having seen things, my work as a paramedic, I was 
I was really good at that job. I was really, really good at that job for two th- two reasons. One, I was really good about being compassionate and connecting to people and listening to them uh, during their ha- hardest times of their life and not judging them. And two, because I followed my intuition. And I have had, I can't even count on, on, on my fingers and toes the amount of experiences that I've had as a paramedic where something inside of me made me make a decision that may not necessarily have been the decision that like in the algorithm that we would follow would be the, would be the decision to make. I mean, I had one case on Christmas Eve where it was a completely stable patient. The transport should have been easy. I was picking up from one hospital and bringing them to ours because I was a transport medic. And I looked at him and I, my, my intuition was firing. This is something they've missed it. That's they've missed something. And I was just getting this feeling and I just kept looking and looking. I'm like, they're missing something, something, this guy is not stable. Something is going on. And, and I just said to my partner, I was like, we want to pack and load real fast. And she was like, I don't understand. Like this guy's stable. Like, why are we rushing? And I said to her, I was like, we want to pack and load really, really fast. And she was good. And she followed me and I, I was the lead anyways. And I took leadership and I said, let's go. And we got him in the ambulance and we started doing stuff. And, and I was like, I know what it is. And I started I, I knew he was having something going on with his heart that they missed. And so I started doing an EKG, what we call a right-sided EKG, which is usually the right side of the heart is not the side of the heart that actually has a heart attack. It's usually the left side of the heart. Mm-hmm. And so he was on a medication that you don't give to a patient that's having a right-sided heart attack because it can kill him. So I shut the medication off right away. I started putting on the leads. We started going lights and sirens and he went, <gasps> and I saw it in his face and he turned white and went unconscious. And I sat, saw right there, he was having a massive right-sided heart attack. And I was just like, go, go, go. A, a call like this, we would have had multiple paramedics and we would have had multiple other therapists with us. I had to intubate him, put him on a vent, change medications, all on the road to the hospital. We got him right up to the cath lab and he blew out his septal wall. And so your septal wall is actually the thick wall that runs down the middle of the heart and is actually what separates the, both the atrium and the ventricles. He blew a hole through that. And because of my, because I knew that there was something wrong that we needed to get him there faster, we got him to the hospital about 25 minutes faster. If I had taken a low, slow ride with him, that he actually went onto full bypass and went out to NYU hospital on a balloon, a balloon pump and had a heart transplant done that day. And I had the head of cardiology come down to me and I was like 23 years old and shake my hand and said, I don't know how you picked this up because they missed every single thing you did. He's like, but whatever you did that day to make you make those decisions, you keep doing that because you saved his life. And that was my intuition. That was that voice inside that picked up things that said something is not right. And so to my girls, when I'm talking to them, I don't, I parent in a very different way. I don't parent from a place of punishment. I parent from a place of leadership and guidance. So, you know, when I said before, I would say to my daughter, like that was unkind. I actually wouldn't say that to my daughter. I actually would say to her, how would you feel if Aria, my little one said that to you? How would you feel if I said that to you, right? Like I want them to make their own decisions. I want them to think. I want them to connect with that feeling because that's intuition. And then I would say to them, is there anything that you think you should do? How do you think we should handle this? Do you think there should be a consequence? What should we do from here? And that's how I've guided my girls. And so when they're trying to make a decision on something and my oldest has a very hard time making decisions, I always say to her, I can't make decisions for you. I can't tell you 
what the right choice is for you. Because what I would choose would be the right choice for me. You need to find that place in your body that helps you make the decision. What feels good? When you think about this decision, does it make you feel a certain way? When you think about this decision, does it make you feel a certain way? Without me saying to her, like, do you feel warm? Do you feel light? Do you feel butterflies? Like, because for all of us, our intuition gives our bodies different signals. Like for me, it's in my in my heart, in my chest. I can feel a really lightness, expansion. It feels like joy to me. And and when it's not a good decision for me, it starts to feel like like you're kind of like wringing out a towel. It feels heavy for me. That's my intuition. That's how my body feels. And that's what we want them to learn. And so we have to guide them. We have to teach them because they have these feelings and they don't know what they are. And so we have to help them figure it out for themselves without putting the labels, right? Without putting the words to be able to use that to make decisions and for them to understand. And and as a parent, you need to let go of the expectations and of the ideas that you want of your children to allow your child to make the best decision for them and understand that the choice might be different than what you would make, but hope that they're following their intuition and that that will bring them to what is is going to be the most joyful for them or to be the best choice for them. And that's what I want them to do. Because when you raise a girl to follow her heart, to know what decision is best for her, that is the most powerful creature in the world. So let me ask what changes, if you've seen any yet. How old are your girls now again? Uh, my oldest, Alexa, is 10. So 10. we're in fourth grade. And then the youngest is four and a half, going on 27. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I know some of those. I think I was one, I think I was one of those. Um, yeah, me let me ask you what changes you've seen in Alexa. Oh, God. My Alexa. She's, she is so amazing. I, and, and I, and I say that and I, and I will be transparent. I had a very hard time with Alexa. I had a very bad pregnancy. I had a horrendous delivery. I didn't bond with Alexa until she was two. And Alexa was sent to me to teach me to learn, to let go of control, to let go of expectations, to learn patience, to learn, to find joy in assisting her to find her true path and experience without my judgment. She has challenged me so, so much. I have grown so much because of her. And she is a girl who is such a deep thinker. She feels very deeply. Her conversations with adults and other people are so expansive. Her emotional intelligence is is more advanced than I think than some adults that I've ever worked with. She's able to look at people and read body language. Um, She's thoughtful. She knows how to hold space for another person. She knows how to hold space for me because I hold space for her. She knows about self-care and taking care of herself and understanding what it is she needs and being able to verbalize that um, and making those decisions. And we're working on, we're working on, on, on that intuition and making choices. And we're working on pushing past fear and difficult moments. And we're working on building resiliency and and stretching um, herself. And knowing that these are all normal parts of, of, of being a woman or being a child or the human experience. And to be able to walk side by side with her, because that's how I I am with my children. I don't, I'm not ahead of them and I'm not behind them. We walk side by side on this journey 
and to be a part of that with her and see her sister come along with that. And my husband is, is amazing. And, and there's so many moments in my life where I'm like, Oh my God, this work work is working. Like this crazy idea I had in my head of these, these theories. And and I consider myself to be a thought leader, like they're freaking working. And it's just so awesome. So, so awesome to see this girl who was very introverted and quiet and shy and fearful, like push past fear and celebrate and, and find her power. And I'm like, Oh man, you're going to be so freaking awesome when you're older. I mean, you're so awesome now. Like, like this is how we raise girls to be those leaders that we need that are going to change the world. And I have two that I'm raising and I'm working with uh, hundreds of girls through our platforms to do that as well. And it's so joyful as a parent to be able to see that and to enjoy the experience of raising girls without that, ugh drama, you know, that we talk about all the time. Oh, raising girls is so hard. No, it's not. It, it's challenging, but it is joyful it, and, and it is fun and it's hilarious and it's exhausting, but it's, it's amazing. Well, if I was going to take Alexa to lunch, mm-hmm. you're not there. She and okay. I are having a little chat at lunch. <laughs> First of all, tell me, where would I be taking her? Where's like, where would she be really thrilled to be having some meal? Um, she right now sushi's a big thing, so she's not a cheap date. <laughs> she's hey, not a cheap date. <laughs> I never expect my grandkids or my nieces ever to be cheap dates because they kind of know what they like. I'm okay with that. What if I asked her, Alexa? What are you most excited about right now in your life? What do you think she'd tell me? Oh, there's so many things. Right now, she's excited that it's uh, springtime, which means our boat is going to be back in the water and the pool is going to be open and she's going to be outside swimming. She's really excited right now about her school play. Uh, we, she was very, she started doing theater in school and kindergarten, and we worked a lot on uh, working through fear because she had a lot of stage fright. And I'm so excited that like this is her, this is going into her fifth year, and this year she feels so empowered because she's been doing theater for so many years that she has a larger role in speaking and she's really excited to get on that stage and she's a little nervous she talks about her nerves she's really excited about that she's really excited about our girls app because she's actually the person who encouraged me to build it so for her it's it's kind of like her baby too and and she's so proud of me and it makes me really emotional that she's so proud of me like your children are proud of you and, and she's just excited, like the work that we're doing and that she gets to be a part of it. She finds joy in so much so little things and, and, and it's not really the big things. It's, it's just being together. You know, this weekend she's going to her grandparents' um, house to sleep over. So she'd be really excited to tell you about that. And she's doing a science fair project. And so she's making her own like invention on how to make s'mores, a s'mores machine. I, I don't really know how it's going to go, <laughs> but she's well, you know what? I wished I was closer because, first of all, I love s'mores. Yeah, me too. I would love to be a pilot tester for her. Oh, let me test your machine. So um, the reason I ask that is because I think it's, well, first of all, it's a really fun question to ask a kid. You know, what are you excited about? Because sometimes it's the most cool conversation you can have. Not what, you know, like, what'd you do today? But what are you excited about? So let me ask you to talk about your app, because you talked about that app. I'm interested not only in the app, but about how Alexa encouraged you to do part of that. 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, having done the work that I've done and, and research and stuff, it was really important to me that I actually kept a very low tech household with my children, just from brain health and science and, and about screen time and stuff. And so we've always been a very low tech household. And here we are you know, last summer, she's nine years old and she really wanted to be on the iPad. And I said to her, no. And she's like, why not? I said, because there's nothing good on it for you. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, if there was something on your iPad that you could be doing that was like good for your brain, good for your body, good for your heart, that I knew like you were learning and it was like inspiration and all and educational, it was just really healthy, then you could do it. But it doesn't exist. So you can't be on the iPad because it's just, it's, I don't want you watching junk. And so I walked away and this is our relationship, right? And I tell my girls, you see a problem in the world you have two choices. You can sit and whine about it or you can find a way to solve it. And we, we teach girls the same thing. And she came up to me and she's like, well, why don't you make it mom? Right? So let's talk about labels here. Okay. And the first thing out of my mouth, me, Maria Fuller, the founder of raising a powerful girl.com, the empowered girl movement and the empowered girl app. I said, no, I can't make that. And she said, why not? And I said, because I don't know how to make that. I did code. I'm not a coder. I'm not a tech savvy person. I just started listing all these things that I wasn't. And she was looking at me like, hello, right? And so I started walking away and she came after me. She's like, let's have a conversation about this, mom. If you could make it, if mom, okay? Like if you could make it, what would it be? What would it look like? And what would you want me to know? And I stopped and I thought about it and I said a couple things to her and she smiled happily and she went off. And I sat there and I was like, I was so disappointed with myself. I was so angry, right? She triggered me. This kid triggers me over and over again. Like this is, and I've learned now, like, hello, the universe sent you, present her for a reason. Like you looking for a sign, Maria, of what to do next? Like she's given it to you. And I was like, why can't I do this? What has happened to me that I wouldn't even attempt? What would I have said to Alexa? Go try it. You won't know if you can do it unless you try it. If you don't try it, the answer will be no. And so I sat at the computer and I Googled how to build an app. And in November of 2018, we launched the Empowered Girl app for clever, creative, and inquisitive girls. And it focuses on the six tenets of mindfulness, gratitude, purpose, mindset, relationships, and humanitarian humanitarianism. And inside of it, it's a mobile response, uh, mobile responsive device, which means that you can access it from a computer or an iPad or tablet or mobile phone. We actually pulled it out of app, the app store and the Google play just so that we could, you wanted it to be more accessible to parents. And it's this really cool platform that's like fun and exciting for kids, but it's healthy. We're giving girls tools to empower themselves in their world. And we've got an inspiring story series where we interview really cool women and girls that are doing awesome things and that have overcome challenges and they share moments of vulnerability and it helps to remove this uh, uh, feeling of isolation that girls get in their teen and tween years, thinking like their experience and their emotions are just, they're the only ones going through it, but we are front having girls right there tell us about like, no, I have body image issues. I've been teased. I've been bullied. I think I'm fat. I've been told that, but my body's healthy and I'm doing this and that. And there's like games and we're teaching bullet journaling. And so there's activities that like, maybe they'll watch a video or two for like a few minutes, but then it gets them off of technology to journaling. So in the month of April, we're doing 
we started a challenge. It's a hundred days of social emotional journaling questions. So every day there's a question teaching them to think about themselves and the world. And we're talking about anxiety in April. And we talk about science because girls are freaking smart. And I feel like if you tell them why biologically your body feels way it does when it's anxious and like the hypothalamus in your brain does this. And from a childhood perspective, then they're like, okay, like I can totally take control over this. And you're going to teach me how to like breathe through this and meditate and do a color mandala when I'm stressed. Like, let's give you skills to work through these normal life experiences. And so it's my way of helping to combat mental health and create good, healthy brains and strong mindsets and all of these skills that girls need that aren't being taught elsewhere so that they can go and lead their own lives and be independent and be powerful because they are really, really powerful. I love it. I like, I like what it sets them up for doing and the community that it creates. So I'm excited about that for you. And, and it's relatively new too. So yeah. who knows? <laughs> I have to tell you, I think your daughter sounds pretty darn amazing. She's awesome. She really yeah. Is. So as we wrap this up, I want to ask you if there are any women that have inspired you over your journey, you know, whether they're in your family or someone else that you, when times were tough, you said, you know what, that's an inspiration point for me that you look to. And then I've got one final question for sure. you. You know, I don't think it's one specific woman that's inspired me. I am inspired every single day by women that share vulnerability. And I think that for me is the key of what I've been searching my entire life that I couldn't find. And that now we're starting to see. So when a woman shares something that she's struggled with and that she's faced something hard to me, that inspires me. And it helps me feel like my own journey things that I've struggled with are, are worth it and that it's normal. And that's, that's really what I've been seeking for a while. And so I'm inspired by the girls that I work with. I'm inspired by my children. I'm inspired by women scientists. Yesterday, they discovered the black hole and that was, um, that was founded by a, an algorithm established by a 29-year-old uh, MIT graduate. She's been doing this work for years. She inspires me to do that. Inspiration is everywhere. You have to look to find it, but it's really those ordinary women, right? We call them ordinary because we haven't heard about them in the media, but those everyday women that are seeking their truth and they're being vulnerable and they're sharing it. And, and they're, they're just, they just keep going, even though when they hit a wall, they pivot and they try again and they try again, they inspire me to keep going. I couldn't agree with you more. So in your last thing, if you were to meet Maria Fuller before you went away to college, but at Alexa's age, mm. what advice would you give Maria? Oh. Or piece of wisdom, if it's not even advice. Yeah, that you need to follow you. I would talk to her about intuition. And I would say those feelings inside of you, I want you to follow those. And no, because there have been so many experiences in my life where the outside world was telling me it was right. And people were telling me it was right. And I was flagging, no, no, no. And I didn't follow it. And I learned the lesson the hard way. And so I would say to her, listen, listen to your body, listen inside of you. And that is the most important voice that you ever, ever listen to. Listen to that. When it says no, follow the no. If it says yes, follow the yes. Like that is the most important 
important tool that you've been given on your life's journey. So if you stick with that, it will make your journey so much easier. Thank you, Maria. And we're going to put links to both your podcast, but also so folks can find your app. And I will definitely be sharing that with my daughter and the grand, the teenage granddaughters. Actually, probably the younger ones as well, because they're pretty sharp. Anyway, I've really enjoyed our time together. So thank you very much. And I look forward to sharing you with all of our podcast listeners. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you liked what you heard. And if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, and no excuses life.